You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. I'd like to talk to you about what? Whoa! Oh no, John! Something's happening to my chair. Where am I going? Oh! John? John is no longer here. He is a terrible villain invented for a 1980s movie. Okay. Um. Wow. I don't know what yeah. happened, but apparently this. Uh, Assembling Avengers is all fouled up already. So yeah, um, you know it's um, it is uh, it's it's pretty amazing to uh, look at the film that gave us Breeders of the Lost Stork, uh, a classic classic film with the character uh, Indiana. Oh, I don't even remember at this point. <laughs> but boy, what a poster collection Howard the Duck has. We're, we're I mean, he sure did. Yeah. But like 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 we promised, we are talking about the very first MCU movie, right? Because it's still in continuity, isn't it? I mean, it's got to be. I got it's got to be, and and I mean, I I'm sure that that ruffles some feathers by us saying that, John. But well, you know, it must be said. It's, uh, it it mu- it must be said. Uh, I do know that uh, this film ranks very highly. Um, with uh, four out of four dark overlords of the universe exploding in in the Earth sky. So, yes, yes, yeah. it absolutely does. So, well, I, I mean, I, this is going to be really fun for us to talk about, and and again, something very very mm-hmm. different. So, I'm excited to be here to do it. So, but before we get there, of course, remember you can find us wherever you get your podcasts and. You know, if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or those type of places where you can review us or rate us, please do. You can also find us all over social media, Twitter at the 602 Club, and then uh, on Instagram or at, at the 602 Club TFM. You can also, of course, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and they got the listeners on the discussion group there. You can join and talk to listeners from all over the world, which would be great if you wanted to check that out. And, of course, you can go to trek.fm and see everything that we've got going on here on the network all of the different shows so okay john you mentioned last episode uh why you know you decided that that we should do this and so just would love for you to kind of reiterate your thought process and just in case somebody missed the last episode why in the world are we talking about howard the duck when this should be Infinity War week. Well, uh, specifically because I was showing Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom to my youngest child uh, for the first time. And I noted, I remembered uh, Willard Hoyk and uh, Gloria Katz worked on that. And then, you know, I knew that they also worked on Howard the Duck, which was a Lucasfilm production. They did. And I thought to, my, I thought to myself, well, Howard the Duck appears in... Guardians of the Galaxy in the uh, in the Stinger, and he appears in the Stinger, and nothing has happened in the MCU that overwrites this movie. Unlike Blade, 
or, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies or anything like that. Yep. So it hasn't been overwritten. The character has appeared in the current MCU. Therefore, it must be an MCU movie and also motivated then as that thought occurs to me. This is where I reveal the rest of it. As I said to you in a text message, I'm like a suicide bomber of movie recommendations. I'm willing to blow myself up just to take you out. <laughs> I had seen Howard the Duck before and you had not. And that was my first question it was like, have you seen it? Because I highly suspect that if you had seen it, you would have rejected my idea, but you hadn't. <laughs> and so you were game. So then I have to ask the question, uh, when was the first time? that you saw this movie did you go to the theater when it came out oh no no uh i lived in the middle of nowhere uh going to the movie theater was you know when vhs you know ruled the world that was a, that was a great savior for for movies for me so i saw this on vhs at my cousin's house and i very distinctly remember being younger than i am now this video playing and Seeing the moment where uh, Leah Thompson's character of Beverly pulls out the prophylactic from Howard's wallet. That is like seared in my brain because my older cousin started laughing hysterically. He thought that was a great joke. And I was standing there thinking to myself, well, that's kind of gross. It's not in a wrapper. <laughs> and so, you know, there you go. And you would be right. Uh, so, well, I mean, the, the clear implication is that it had been. That it's like, you know, the opening of Blues Brothers, where, you know, it had been, it wasn't yes. factory sealed anymore, yes. right? I'm, I'm yeah. A, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Well, um, and you were correct. You know, uh, I just watched <laughs> this movie today uh, so that we could talk about it. And, um, you know, I'd never seen it before. I, I did know, of course, that this was a film that was much maligned, uh, definitely a film that people, you know, didn't seem to love i obviously knew that this was a movie uh that you know uh, george lucas was involved with the production of you know as an executive producer uh and so uh you know of course that was of of interest to me uh because of that you know this is the time when he's really not um doing a ton with lucasfilm um you know he's he's kind of pulled away a little bit and so it was interesting to see that, you know, they had thought about making this an animated movie and, you know, they realized that that would take way too much time for them and, and would cost more money was really the issue uh, as to why this became live action, which I do want to ask you just about that idea. Um, how do you, like, when you, have the idea of this being an animated film. Do you think that that might have been something that people were more into? Do you think that would have helped no, the film at no, all? No. Uh, I I remember reading the book, George Lucas, The Creative Impulse, which I actually, because I remembered it about with in relation to this movie, I found a used copy. And I was like, I haven't read that in a few dozen years. So I, I wanted to uh, to go ahead and reread that. And I mean, the book is basically like a hagiography of George Lucas at the time. You know, he he never did anything wrong. He healed the sick and uh, <laughs> helped lame beggars walk sort of thing. But, you know, it, it still actually had a section where they discussed Howard the Duck. But the way it was painted 
was, well, you know, George was doing it as a favor to his friends. They didn't really, you know, he wasn't really that involved. But if you watch the behind the scenes stuff with Howard the Duck, the story is completely different. They're basically like, yeah, George found the the comic book, uh, Howard the Duck, and he thought it was funny as hell. And he was like, we should make a movie out of this. And so they decided to make a movie out of it. And it's like, I like I kind of ad- admire that because it's kind of fun. He'd worked yeah. with them before, you know, great success, all of that, all that sort of thing. And I'm sorry for rambling about it at that point. But in terms of an animated movie, this only works as an animated movie if you're going to do something like Cool World or mm-hmm. Fritz the Cat or Heavy Metal. Or even and maybe by the, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that would you're right. That would that would be the sort of thing you could do with this too. That would have um I think that going the ha- going the uh the Roger Rabbit way. I I like the way you're thinking because I'm not thinking blending of live action and animated sure. like that. I think you're right that probably would have worked better. Uh I'm thinking strictly in terms of animated feature in which case this would have had to have been like an R-rated animated feature and the market for that is not exactly it's true you know yep big yeah there there's not a lot of people who think you know I, you know what i really want today is an R-rated animated movie at least at the time right, right? you know i mean we have them now in the sense that uh, some of those uh, straight to DVD and or, you know, Blu-ray, whatever you want to call it these days, that's that's out. Um, you get those uh, that for like the DC films, the animated ones um, and, the, you know, they have more blood and that kind of thing in them. And they're definitely for adults. But I mean, they're also just coming out at home. You know, we're not releasing them to the general public um, and in the sense of yeah. like. We're trying to put it in the theater and make people accept this. You know, it's already people who are interested. So, yeah, well, I mean, you know, and, and the aforementioned like, you know, Fritz the Cat and Howard and and Heavy Metal are, you know, they're niche movies. They're cult right. classics. And but it's a very limited appeal on them. Very, very limited. Uh, and that becomes a very interesting thing because, you know, having that discussion I mean, wouldn't that have been a, a great way for sort of like Lucas to be a trailblazer sort of thing? It's like, you know, I'm going to I'm going to res- like he could have been, I guess, sort of like an antidote to Disney by mm-hmm. doing that sort of thing. But as much as we might talk about Lucas as an independent filmmaker, he very much has a more wholesome sensibility, I think, sure. than or at least, you know, in the in terms of the movies he makes. But um, well, and and, you know, you know I, I think, you know, like you're saying, that's one of the reasons why when we talk about the adaptation and, and of course, yes, they do do this as a live action. But, you know, one of the things about the adaptation is that it is much uh, different than the comic in the sense that like Howard is a character from what I've read is much more sarcastic. Um, it, mm-hmm. There's, there's uh, the whole comic is very sardonic from what I've been able to read about. And so because of that, they don't do that in this film. And, you know, Howard in many ways is a much more likable character 
which is a very interesting thing to do. And it, I wonder in some ways if that honestly doesn't, I wonder if that has any effect on like the story as well. If it, it might've been received better if there was, this felt maybe more like a satire than it does. Um, because sure. this this is more played very straight, which is really interesting yeah. that they play this so straight when it is so inver- – it's so surrealistic, really. The whole idea is just surreal. Um, and, and I'm yeah. very surprised that instead they kind of play this uh, just not in a way that I would have expected. Well, I almost wonder if um... – if there were a different director who had that sensibility, if you got like a John Landis or even a Zemeckis, what would have, I think, infused that sort of sense of humor into it. I I get much more the sense that um, that and, and again, yes, I always butcher his last name. I apologize a thousand times over. I have nothing but respect for him, but I always get his la- I I don't know how to pronounce his last name properly. Willard Hoyk. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you say it. I don't think he was the right director for this. And there's no shame in saying he's a great screenwriter, but not the right director for this. And uh, I think that they they understood the sensibility of it. They got it. But you needed somebody who knew. You know what? A Joe Dante would have been right for this, too. Like Gremlins. You need that type of sensibility behind the camera. And I don't think that he had it. And I think that works against the movie. Um, and but but at the same time, I want to ask you about this, right? This is in danger right now of becoming entering into that cult classic territory where people remember it much more fondly than they did back when it was released. I got to ask you, this is your first viewing what like what was the general what what zone did it land in what the hell is going on who thought this was a good idea or oh this is yeah this is an 80s comedy sort of thing like what 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 was your sort of vibe from it while you were watching it for the first time honestly it it feels like something that comes from the 80s it just feels like something that makes sense for the 80s and and kind of watching it, i think i was able to view the film in that lens because there are so many movies that take weird chances like this in the 80s in a way that we just don't do anymore and you know i it does feel like a lot of those, you know, interesting choices that that Lucasfilm kind of makes, um, you know, trying things that don't necessarily always work. Which, you know, I think is one of the strengths of of Lucasfilm in general was that George was willing to do that, you know, and if he had a failure, like he learned from it and he moved on, um, you know. But I mean, this this comes from the same. Uh, company that you know made things like willow and and that kind of stuff so you know this feels very much in in line with all of that type of thing um and the 80s had that surrealist sensibility where it really would blend things that don't go together at all 
uh, in a way that I, again, I just don't know that we do today. Um, you know, like you said, like a cool world did or, uh, who framed Roger rabbit. That's legitimately the same type of sensibility that we're getting in this type of this movie, right? They're doing the same stuff. And, you know, I think, I I went in with such low expectations. I think that the movie maybe surprised me in the sense that it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, which is always mm-hmm. a great place to be. Um, and, you know, it's not like I hated watching it. I, I just didn't. It, it, it had, it had some like, let me put it this way for this movie to like keep my interest for two hours without me getting completely bored and just thinking like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. I, I, that's a win, you know? Um, so I, 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 and it's not a movie I wouldn't say that I wouldn't watch again either. I I think, I think it exists in the realm of interesting failure, Mm -hmm. which I know sounds like a terrible thing, but there are a lot of interesting failures that I will revisit through time because of the fact that it's, it's, you're fascinated by it. It's not a train wreck. It's not anything terrible. And to your point, I readily acknowledge, and I think it's a great point for you to make in this, in the context of this discussion, that it's from an era of filmmaking where people just threw spaghetti at the wall and said, what the hell? Let's try it. What what do we got to lose? Right? Oh, the movie didn't do so great. Okay. That's, you know, that's fine. And maybe the commoditizing of things, ironically, by Disney with the MCU, as we've encountered it has sort of sapped some of that insane sort of creativity from movies in general because we're we're so concerned about continuity and believability and right. stuff like that. Well, and there's a surrealistic nature to this in in the same way um I think that Guardians has in some ways, right? Like and of course Howard the Duck is where we saw Guardian or we saw Howard the Duck in Guardians in the first place. So I think that's obviously makes sense that it, you know, if anybody would ever try and do this again, you could see like, I think Gunn trying to bring a Howard yeah. the Duck film back um, with his sensibilities. And you feel like he could make that work, right? Because I think he has what this movie kind of needed, as you talked about with the director of this idea of being more cynical you know i think being um a harder edge to it you know um all of those things i think make would make this movie and the movie itself probably work a little bit better um but you know at at the same time i was kind of struck in here that the storyline really is about two people connecting over the fact that they don't feel like they're in the place that they thought they would be in life. And they really don't honestly know how to get there. And they help each other kind of find their place. And of course, it's really weird because it's happening between a duck and a woman. Um, But I think at its core, it's a really what's weird to say it's it's actually this really sweet story of of these people helping each other find themselves yeah i i'll say that if this went there are a couple of structural things i think and this is why it sits in the realm of interesting failure is there are just some minor 
relatively minor changes that could have happened within the context of the uh, the the screenwriting stage that I think could have made this a legitimately good movie, or at least mm-hmm. more accessible. Don't start on Duck World. Have Howard sh- basically start with the science lab and have him land at the science lab, sure. but you know nobody notices it. He lands outside of it or something. I think that opening is much better because you're not starting off with this gag of an egg-shaped world where you're like, what is going on yeah. here? And then if you really want to show his planet, you can show it in flashback, right? Sure. Then I think what would have made it a more 80s feature and a safer play with a lot of audiences is if instead of her reaffirming her love for Howard at the very end of the movie, instead have her and Tim Robbins wind up being the ones who fall in love. Mm. And Howard's okay with that, right? Like that I think would have played a lot better with audiences. Sure. Um, Sure. Like, and the thing is, I want to give it all of the credit that you're giving it about, you know, this is two people who don't know where they're going in life and it plays like that. But I do think it's just an insurmountable story element to have this quasi animatronic duck and this teenage girl falling in love with each other. It's like, it's just, it's just a bridge too far. Yeah, I mean, I I think you're right, uh, and uh, it did that. Yeah, that point really does ruffle too many feathers. It's like you can't. You're and you're absolutely right to say that is. We can't build a bridge over that much water, you know. Right. Like, there's just no. You can't get there in your mind, um, and. You know, I, I think that's the thing that helps something like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the fact that Roger's married to Jessica, they're cartoons. So mm-hmm. it, it there's there's already a leap of imagination in the sense that they're cartoons, so it it is doesn't feel quite as weird. Whereas here because he's like a lifelike duck that walks and talks, walks like a duck and talks like a duck. It must be Howard the Duck. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure somebody's made that joke before. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, and, you know, she's a real person. It's, um, you know, Leah Thompson has made a, a habit of being in films in really awkward situations. Um, first with her son. <laughs> Uh, and Back to the Future, and now with a duck. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about her, um, but that's interesting. So, um, well, I, I think I think she's an actress, and and looking at the behind the you know the the looking back documentary type of stuff. Um, what's really nice is that she has a very fond memory of this movie, and a very um, like it, it apparently tied into her sense of humor. Yeah, and she's like she got the joke. Well, and it and makes sense that's, because that's exactly yeah. how she feels about Back to the Future 2. Yeah. She's the exact same way about that film, which is not a great film. Uh, it's better than the first one. But the no, that thing is, that with is Howard the Duck. absolutely 100% false. Please stop. It's, at least, I, 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 it's fine. It's not better than the first one. I admit that. But it is better than the third one. 
that's not true either, but that's a different story. Yeah, there's a law of diminishing returns with that trilogy. Yeah, all right. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, no, I I, I think that um, her her sense of humor, like she's so earnest in this movie. She really is trying to sell the role. I, I do think a lot of it is the structural stuff undercuts it. It's one of those things where I don't like the movie. But I have a hard time hating the movie. Like for me to hate a movie, I have to feel betrayed by it in some way. That it that it it just failed so badly that I I feel like it just broke the 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 uh, mm-hmm. the gentleman's handshake of I'm not going to mess with you too bad, and I'm paying money for it. So let's let's have a time. There are movies I hate. Sure. But this is not a movie I can hate because, again, Leah Thompson's really in earnest. Tim Robbins is fine. Um, Jeffrey Jones is his character arc is just so weird. It's so bizarre. It there there are so many different ways you could have done X, Y, or Z with everything. And so I think I think it really is just one of those things where it's you know there are too many structural things working against it for it to be good, but because Leah Thompson wants to be there and is trying her best, because Tim Robbins is giving it his his all, because uh, Ed Gale, I think that's his name, the little person who was in the suit, he he's a good physical actor. He made Howard work as an effect. And uh, so, like, all of these things, that's why it's so it's so tough to muster up any negative energy toward the movie, because it's like it's so, it's just honest in its intentions, I guess. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that, because, like you said, the film, you can tell what the film is trying to do. And I think what you said about kind of the structure of the movie, I felt like the first half of the movie is better than the second half because it feels like we're telling a certain type of story in the first half of the film. And then we go into special effects world where we're just trying to do cool special effects. Uh, And part of that is, you know, bringing in the demons from beyond and, and everything and, and, you know, I, well, I think that's something to where, like you said, there there needed to be maybe a better way to put that together. Now, see what what's really interesting about that with the bringing in the you know the dark overlords of the universe is if you take them out of this story, this is basically just ET with a duck. And I have to wonder if that's not playing in the back of their brains at some point. Sure. We can't just make E.T. with a duck. We have to do something that sets us apart aside from the implied sexual situations. And, well, I mean, isn't that enough to set it apart from E.T., really? <laughs> you know, when you think about it. But but in all seriousness, yes, right? Yes, it is. Like, you can't just have him racing against the the cops to go back to the machine that's going to send him back home because then you have no choice but to send him back home mm-hmm. and you don't have any story elements that are any different. And so maybe it's just they're just undone by their own desire not to be seen as copycats. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be. And I think the other thing that they're trying to do in many ways is to keep they're 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 keeping themselves open for a sequel and and they want a good reason for Howard to not be able to go home. And so yeah. the the way they come up with that is is these overlords and you know, I think I just think that possibly what it needs is that you want everything to just feel more cohesive in the storytelling. And mm-hmm. again, I just feel like the first half of the movie is feels much more cohesive. Yeah. And the second half feels like it's just kind of action beat after action beat and loses a lot of that momentum. And and part of that, I think, is like you were saying, is one of the things that held this movie together beforehand was Leah Thompson, like Mark Hamill, making you believe that Howard is a real person and that she has feelings for it, as weird as that is. And somehow that makes the movie work beforehand. Yeah. And it works less when you're watching Howard become an action hero at the end. Um, that uh, doesn't feel yeah. <laughs> quite as legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, that that's this movie in a nutshell. You know, like it's, I mean, it, what stunned me seeing it, because I wouldn't have noticed this at the time, because it's literally been decades since I've watched this, is that uh, the music is uh, John Barry. Yep. Who worked on the Bond films for Pete's yes, sake. Yes, he did. I'm like, wait, what? But what's interesting is listening to the music, it sounds like his Bond work. Mm-hmm. Like it it really does. Uh, and the, I mean, I'm not saying that like it's a bad thing or even a good thing. It's just it. I can tell it's a John Perry score. I'm like, well, that, that's just a little asynchronous with everything, you know. Um, but in, in terms of like the design, what did you think of the design of everything? I mean, but most especially the Cajun sushi diner. Okay, so design-wise, I mean, like Duck World was really cool. I mean, it looked really good. They they obviously spent a lot of time creating that, and I was actually impressed that that was the case, um, because it's on screen for so little time, and yeah. so that was. I mean, I uh, again and two having. You know, all of the people in the suits and everything and and really filling that out was uh, astounding work. I mean, when I think of what they're doing at the time they're doing it, this is a lot of work, a lot more work than um, I think people probably realized that they would put into a film. You know, today, everything is just CGI, you know, and not Mm -hmm. that's not a lot of work, but it's not the same type of work as like painfully building these suits for people to wear and you know the work they're doing about pulling him through all those walls and everything and you know i just it's it's crazy um you know the rest of the film i think they do a pretty good job i mean you can obviously see at the end of the movie you got phil tippett and his you know stop motion animation uh yeah which is always cool to see even if it doesn't hold up in the sense of the lighting is wrong on on 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know? yeah, I, I, so, when you get in a set that detail, like it's yep. a lot different for a Tauntaun yep. or an Adat Walker where there's a very quasi monochromatic thing behind it. But there's so much different light sourcing and shadows in the real world in an interior environment like that, that when you comp in something like that, like you understand when you look at it, you're like, that is so cool. They did so much work. It looks really neat. But you can tell that that's like a two dimensional flat photography thing thrown over on top of something else. And that works against it. And it's unfortunate because it is. I thought the design of the Dark Overlord of the Universe what was wild about it was it's a creepy design, but it's also comic booky enough not to be terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? It's 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 kid scary. And I think that's that's an achievement. The movement on it's great, but yeah, that the lighting is just impossible to really get right mm-hmm. when you're comping those sorts of things when you have such a complex background with so yeah. many different shadows and surfaces. Yeah, no, I mean, I 100% agree with you on that. And, you know, I think, you know, the rest of the film looks very much like a kind of a classic 80s movie. Um, you know, it's it's very location-based and all of that stuff, I think, works just fine. Um, there wasn't anything oh, yeah, that the, really the, st- <laughs> stood out to me as like, oh, that looks terrible, you know, so. The rolling hills of Ohio. Yes, exactly. You know, that's always. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just for anybody who doesn't realize, Ohio's not exactly known for its topography. <laughs> like it's there there aren't a lot of elevated places. It's sort of like uh you know, sea level in the Midwest sort of thing. <laughs> so just yeah. some of the locations that they chose, I'm like, all right, guys, you're not in Ohio anymore. Come on now. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, overall I mean I, you know, this isn't a movie we we're gonna talk about forever. Um, no, but I mean, I, I, I think, I think you said it really well that this movie is an interesting failure and it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. You know, I, I've seen people just rated on, you know, letterbox and stuff at like half a star. And it's like, this is not half a star. I've, I've seen movies way worse than this. And in, in fact, I might've seen mcu movies worse than this so who knows so i guess maybe john i don't know if unless you have anything to add possibly we should get to our ratings yeah let's go ahead and get to our ratings because honestly i i don't know how much more there's only one final note that dumb song at the end stay stuck in your brain for a solid 24 hours it's pretty welcome to that yeah that's there thank you thank you yeah it it will not go away uh, and Leah Thompson still has uh, the Les Paul guitar uh, that she learned to play That's for awesome. this movie. So God bless her. Um, yeah, I'm ready to give my rating. Uh, I It's going to be kind of generous because it's a failure, but it's an interesting failure. It's something that I can look at. And I can be like, yep, I see what went wrong there. And I. I can almost like intellectually distance myself from the emotional trauma of watching it. Um, and once you work past certain things, you're like, yeah, that gag's kind of cute. That's that's fine. It's not really funny, but it's like, okay. So uh, I wind up coming in, uh, believe it or not, and I know everybody's going to get mad at me, especially since I said Back to the Future Part 2 is better than Back to the Future Part 3, but it is. I'm going to go ahead with uh, two stars. 
for this. What about you? Nice, nice. Uh, well, I think uh, then uh, you'll think that I'm being ultra generous oh, when I give no. this two and a half stars. Really? Yeah, because I think that this is half a good movie. I think they were really doing something interesting in the first half of the huh. film, and the last half of the film loses me in the sense that it just... I think what it tries to do is is tries to be too big for its own britches, and that that's where it loses me. Um, but, you know, I mean, maybe it'll go down when I watch it again. Um, but I think I, one of the things was is that I was kind of impressed with the effects work for the most part. And what they were able to do with the way Howard looks in the first place is pretty impressive for the time. I mean, animatronic creations like that weren't what we have today. Where, you know, the mm-hmm. new Star Wars movies have, I mean, you can have an animatronic Maz Kanata and it's hard to tell whether or not she's real or not, you know? like Yeah, although, although that made such little sense to do in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I don't know why they did that. It but, was kind of maddening. Yeah, but again, I mean, it's still impressive what you can do. You can make these things so lifelike. Or you think about uh, the Book of Boba Fett with uh, the Athorian uh, mayor. You know, mm-hmm. really impressive yeah, yeah. work. Uh, so, and this is in the 80s. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, John, if we're going to put this with our MCU rankings, then what I'm super fascinated to see is where this lands. Yeah, that that is going to be super fascinating because I'm not quite sure... Spoilers, we're we're going to get pretty deep into the list before I put Howard the Duck in there, okay? So so just That's hang shocking. on to the ride here. Yeah. All right, Captain America the Winter Soldier, obviously. Iron Man 3, Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Iron Man, Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy, Doctor Strange, Captain America Civil War, Captain America the First Avenger, The Incredible Hulk, Thor, Spider-Man Homecoming, The Avengers, Howard the Duck, Thor the Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor Ragnarok, and Avengers Age of Ultron. Because Howard the Duck, again, is not a cynical failure or a failure by committee, but an interesting failure. And so that's where it sits on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the Winter Soldier, Iron Man, Iron Man 3, Civil War, the first Avenger, Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Ant-Man, Doctor Strange, The Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man Homecoming, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers, Thor The Dark World, Mm. Iron Man 2, Mm. Thor, Mm -hmm. Howard the Duck, Avengers Age of Ultron, and Thor Ragnarok. This means that I would rather go. watch Howard the Duck is the film that I would rather watch than those two movies. I can honestly say because of it's because of Leah Thompson's earnestness, that's why it beats out what it does on my list. Yeah, because I again, those other four are so they're like offensively bland in some sense. Mm-hmm. This is interestingly bad. <laughs> So See, that's an important I, I, distinction for me. Uh, you know, 
there's a possibility that I could put this maybe above Thor. But then I had to think to myself, but Thor did have Darcy in it being really funny, and it has Sif in it. And so, you know, they're trying in the movie. So, anyway. I don't know that Darcy is funny. That might be the problem there. But but I rank Thor higher than you do. Yes, so. You do. so Yeah. Well, uh, that was really fun. Uh, I think an interesting diversion. Uh, but we are back on target. We're staying on target, John. Next is Infinity War. So before we get there, where can everybody find you, John, if they wanted to catch up with you and talk about how excited they were that you had us cover Howard the Duck. Well, I fully expect everybody to send me uh, thank you letters for covering Howard the Duck. Uh, you can find me as Kessel Junkie online, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. And on the Nerd Party Network, I'm co-hosting two shows. The first one I will mention is called House Lights, where we look at the work of film directors. And then, of course, Aggressive Negotiations, a delightful Star Wars podcast that I co-host with you, Matt Rushing. And uh, you can find me all over social media under the name MattRushing02, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, all those type of places. Of course, here on the network in the 602 Club, the main feed, doing the main show, as well as Snyder Cuts with you, John. We talked about everything that Zack Snyder directed. You can also find me doing The Orb, Literary Treks, and Warp 5. The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek, and Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, when I'm not doing aggressive negotiations, you can check out a finished show I had with Drag Kaufman as we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But thank you so much for joining us. Avengers! Avengers!